Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 72, John 6 in A Dance with Dragons. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, on Tumblr, and liesandarborgold.com. And I am Eliana, another one of your hosts. You might know me as Glass Table Girl from Reddit, from the Mason Monthly Podcast, or as Arithmetric over on Twitter. Yes, where you're putting out them sick tweets. Um, maybe maybe they should get some medical attention. You guys, we're back in black. Back in the wall! Okay, we've been totally not with John for a bit, so I feel like we're getting back in the groove of yeah. things. We're back at Castle Black. Stuff sucks still. <laughs> Stuff does still suck for John, because turns out um, administration and managing down isn't great he was also managing up he was playing both for a while and that's no fun so yeah when corporate shows up totally the worst i get you john i get you i mean i don't usually have to do both (laughs) uh i don't usually have to do what my friend just tells me that managing both up and down sucks i'm like okay uh we got some really good emails and tweets of note from some of our friends uh one of our friends our patron reds sent us a note that said since we already know from season eight that John kills Danny with his dagger, wow, through whose POV do you guys think we are going to read the sticking of the pointy end in the books? Double yeah, wow. Well, this is a way Maybe, to put it. <laughs> I feel like Reds is like very inflammatory, <laughs> right? Like very like out there to start shit. Like they tweeted something today about how in an Ashara and I was like, this is bait. This is literally bait for me to come to this tweet, isn't it? Uh Reds goes on to say maybe it could be through multiple POVs, John's and Danny's. I think it would be swell if it was from Jamie's POV, if he lives. Full-on ironic circle, with him in Ned's place watching the spitting image of the Honorable Ned Stark do the dishonorable, if not more, dishonorable deed he'd done those years ago. But this lion of casterly rock will not judge the White Wolf of Winterfell. What do you think? Also, Reds gave us some Jonza fan art. So I think that I, I the idea of it being Jamie's interesting. I think it will, I think it should be from Daenerys's point of view, right? Um, I think that it's a culmination of everything that she's been through, and it should be like from her point of view in story. We get so much about the difficulties of ruling and betrayal and treachery and stuff, right? from outsider perspectives when it comes to the other kings like Robert, Stannis, uh, Balon, etc., and Rob even. But I think that if it's kind of being kept so that we have it through Daenerys' point of view at the end, I think that makes it really impactful. And also I think that you could end up with a really great sort of parallel, right? Of I mean, if it is with a dagger and a pointy end, goddammit. You know, it's like she never felt the fourth knife. I mean, there's not a fourth knife, but... Oh, in a way, I mean, this is the fourth knife, yeah. though. This is like me, you, and Joe Magician talked about back in A Game of Thrones 800 years ago of John. Uh, if you remember, we talked about babe. kind of how a wee yeah. bab. Uh, we talked about how Danny and John and Eamon all have three tests, right? John and Eamon have three tests that they have to pass, and they lose on their fourth mm-hmm. test. They fail their fourth test, and Danny has. Three treasons. So, what's the fourth treason that she dies for going to be? John. John. Yeah. 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 I don't think John yeah. is uh, the fourth. Yeah, I don't think he's one of the three 
No. Three treasons, he, he'd be the fourth. Yep, he'd be the fourth. Um, I definitely... I hope we get it through Daenerys's point of view. And I think especially to see like what she's finally set her eyes on, if it really is her at the throne, you know, finally, that's going to be very sad. But I worry we're going to get it through Jon's POV. I think there's a lot of ways that for me it could work if it's still in Danny's. Like I said, we had a lot of that withholding mm-hmm. of the other kings, etc. Getting it and... Yeah. um getting POVs, other rulers, with the exception of, I guess, Cersei, if she ends up with mm-hmm. anything. Um, and for for it to be Daenerys, I think, makes it unique, right? There's sort of a rule, yeah. but not really a rule, that George says he actually might start breaking to keep things interesting, mix it all up, since people have kind of figured it out, that it feels as though POVs don't always die within their own chapters. So... I don't know, if Daenerys did, I think that makes it really unique and impactful and for her. I don't think... And it has to be impactful has to for be. this death to work, so... Yeah, and so Jamie, I don't think it should be through Jamie's point of view. I think that Jamie could absolutely be the aftermath, right? I think that Reds has a really good idea here of if Jamie ends up... In, Finding that Yeah, scene. in the same space as Ned. And the roles reverse. Yeah. I don't, I mean... I don't think it could happen that way so much, only because, and you know, this even puts into play something more interesting. What if, I mean, I think Jamie will be dead by then, but what if it's Tyrion Hmm. that comes across the scene and he plays the Jamie role? And what if this is after maybe she does imprison him and maybe he does end up betraying her or like get her to blow the city up and whisper in her ear as the devil in her shoulder, you know? Um, What if when she ends up imprisoning him and he does come out or he isn't in person and does come out. I don't know, but what if it's him who's seen as, like, the person that's lost the city and he's the one that finds it instead, like Jamie's role? Mm-hmm. It, it would just be interesting. I think there's a lot of ways that we could remix it. I fear that Tyrion's going to see a lot of important stuff since he's one of George's favorites, so I guess we can't rule that out. But I do think it's going to be in either John or Danny's chapter. I would hope it's in Danny's, but I think that he'll probably do it in John's. I think that, unfortunately, a lot of people will be bummed about that, too. Yeah. I mean, I would be pretty bummed if it came through John's instead of Daenerys's. I could see where he could pull both of them off, but he should do it through Danny's chapter. Like, it's put some respect on it. Yeah. Own up to it. If if you're going to kill her off, George, you owe it to her to look her in the eye in her POV. I'm just saying. You know, Eliana, there might be a lot of things you and I don't agree on, but there's one thing we can agree on, which is Jonza won't be endgame. Jonza won't be endgame, you know? It'll never happen. But I want to say something controversial. Because mm-hmm. I do that from time to time. I'm like, as I said it, I could see your face go, of course you do, Chloe. Of fucking course you do. Interesting. Uh while I don't believe Johns will be endgame, I think the connotations are there for it to be something they think about. Not like in a sexual manner, not like in a super, oh, I love him no. way. I think that they will think about each other as sort of this longing for home. And for Sansa, you know, it's it's somebody that's a real hero that's done some really heroic things and is true, is a person that protects, you know, the underdog. John is a good guy and he's grown up to be a good guy. And for John, it's the family that always rejected him and he can never be with that finally wants him and he'll have to say no to it. 
Yeah, and the, the rationale of each of them finding in one another a home is, I think, the reason why I had thought back then that Jonza would be a thing. And it had less to do with, again, romance and more to do with, as you said, each of them finding Winterfell in one another, like him looking like the spitting image of Ned and trying to live up to Ned in many ways. And for him, Sansa representing the Winterfell he could never attain as a bastard. And maybe to some like twisted way, the sort of affirmation from Catelyn that he could never get. But I'm, I mean, turns out the parallels that we also saw in their storyline, there was a lot of really great character analysis about that isn't about them ending up together. And I think I'm fine with that. And I think it becomes much clearer now that it was less about that and more about paralleling the idea of leadership and rulership uh, and what it means to be a Stark, just as we have very, very, very strong parallels of what it means to rule and leadership here in this very book, Dance, between John's storyline and Daenerys's. And there, I think a lot of... we talked about it recently in terms of his motivations for letting the wildlings through and things like that and and his language right of i need all of them as to why his storyline and daenerys is absolutely ends up in a romance but i think i think you're right like obviously sansa and a marriage alliance as opposed to like necessarily a marriage right but an alliance is going to be on the table through that route but it doesn't end up with that, and um, I'm fine with that. I, I was never like really super on it. It was only a thing that I thought was interesting because of the character analysis, and now we know what it really, really meant. Yeah, I mean, because Winterfell for John, I mean, being the Lord of Winterfell is his red door, yes. right? It's that Perfect. thing that he sees in his dreams that tells him, you can't come here. Uh, that he's looking for. He's looking for this red door and he can't have it. In the end, he won't have Winterfell. Um, it's every time he thinks and hears him and Rob in the yard slashing at each other with swords and hears, you know, him say, I'm the Lord of Winterfell and Rob say, no, you aren't. Like every single, that feeling, that's the reason he can't, he won't have Winterfell. It's not for him in the end after he, well, ruins the whole red door thing. <laughs> They could have painted any door for her, I'm just saying. But in her mind's eye, all the doors were red. She sees a red door and she wants to turn it oh, black. I you said she wants to also turn it red. I was like, interesting. Er. That, that song doesn't make much sense. <laughs> and then we got this really nice review from our good friend Dallas. Who I love this opening line says, I'm pretty sure I accidentally left a Nauticast review on the Girls Gone Canon podcast. Epic fail. Like kind of millennial <laughs> am I. I didn't see it. Did she delete it from theirs? Because I went to look and I could not find I it. I don't know. So good for you, Dallas. Maybe. You're a good millennial, yeah, that's apparently. True. I don't know. I <laughs> uh, so I think that's pretty hilarious. But uh Dallas, thank you so much for this review. Has Cult us the coolest nerd she wishes she could have been friends with in high school, and has talked about binging the John episodes and the HDM ep and the His Dark Materials episodes because she's behind. Same. Same. I'm behind on so many things. But... <laughs> and then Dallas goes on to talk about random tangents, a callback to her own journey as a nerd child slash lover of books, including Neopets and fairy paint brushes. <laughs> 
That was a private conversation she and I just had, actually, but it's okay. We can still talk about it. I'm here to talk about Neopets. I'm here to all I won the fruit machine. I won the fruit machine, and I got a fairy brush, and I sold it for, like, as many Neopoints as you, like, 999,999 or something. It was great. It's fascinating to me that you didn't turn any of your Neopets into fairy Neopets. That's not a thing you chose. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's what I chose. I'm a Slytherin, Eliana. (laughs) Uh, and you were a fucking classic Hufflepuff. I was like, horde, horde, I can't horde. believe you didn't paint your Neopet like a fairy. Me. No, I sold that shit, bitch. Yeah. I, or I would just let it sit in there, you know, be like, look at this. Yeah. I own this. Like <laughs> a fucking dragon with my horde. Yeah, well, you are a particularly good finder. Am I? As a Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyways, <laughs> as for the podcast itself, these ladies have puns, they have meta, character insight, thematic work. They have both written treatises that have lives of their own. Makes it sound like I don't have a life Aww. of my own, though. <laughs> but my work does. <laughs> and that she's glad to be part of a fandom that has content creators Aww. like us. Thank you. If you guys uh, if you guys have access still, or if you remember, only only true Girls Gone Canon fans will know that Dallas was actually on our only live stream we have ever done a Girls Gone Canon hosted live stream, which was removed because free Girls Gone Canon YouTube. Uh, our, our YouTube account got shut down. We still don't know why. We kind of know why. We don't know, though. Wasn't our fault. Free us. We have a theory. We have a theory that they think you were impersonating yourself. Myself? Yeah. Yeah. That is a theory I Free have. Girls Gone Canon. <gasps> But uh, but Dallas was in that live stream, so yeah. she was it was at Ice and Fire Con, and Dallas was there. We had a really good time hanging out with her. She says great yeah. things. Like Dallas should just take the podcast. She should have the yeah, podcast. Yeah, she had really great insight uh, on season eight, episode three, reactions to it. But Dallas, are you a, a, a Sagittarius? We gotta know. It's <laughs> been a while. Yeah, we that's true. We haven't asked people if they're a what. A yeah, the other a sign. sign. Yeah, what is it? The third head of the dragon. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the email, Reds, and from Dallas with the iTunes review. Eliana loves getting iTunes reviews, and uh, she also loves podcast comments. Podbean, I like Podbean, Podbean comments, sorry. iTunes reviews. I I, I kind of get anxious about. It. I'm like, uh oh. Oh no! What did we do? Yeah. What did we brew in today? Yeah. First, it's Barristan. But for Podbean. I just think it's so funny. It's so funny every time. <laughs> it's very weird. I love well, it. Well, let's <laughs> jump into our lightning round. We haven't done a lightning round in a hot second. I'm like getting loose, getting loose. We just did an episode last week, didn't we? Why are we acting like it's been so long? It feels like, you know what? We did a lot of content in between, so maybe it just feels <gasps> yeah, like it's been a while. It does. So Tyrion 6, streaming of his own ghost as he drowns in the sorrows. Tyrion is dragged out of the river by John Connington, and young Griff is revealed to be Aegon Targaryen. <gasps> Gasp! Who could have seen it coming? Wow. To be honest, I didn't. But just as Tyrion has started to fit in with these new rogues, even spying for them, he is kidnapped, leaving a brothel. <sighs> Daenerys 4. A queen must do her duty, and Daenerys is reminded of her duty to Marine by the Green Grace. The Lost Lord. I feel like I still have to do the hand hand gestures. I don't know. His hair blows in the wind. He's lost without his silver prince. He's doing it all for the Grimm. And also Rhaegar. 
It's John Coddington, anime protagonist. You know God. he is, though. I, like, I know, and I love... Like, I love John Coddington's chapters, but sometimes you read them and you're just like, oh my god, this is like a telenovela. Settle down. He's like sitting there and he's like, the silver hair in the wind. I'm like, Jesus Christ. But that is like anime protagonist kind of like language. And he has blue hair and young Griff has blue and hair. And eyes and all. Yeah, the blue hair yeah. is what makes you know. That's how you know. He's like trunks, you know? I wrote it for you. Oh, actually. Thank you. Like literally, that one was for you. I was like, she'll like this because it's true. Um, the windblown. A frog prince heads on a journey to woo a dragon queen. Woo woo. The wayward bride, married against her will in name, Asha lingers at Deepwood Mott, igniting flames of her past before the word and sword of battle reaches them. Tyrion seven. Tyrion arrives, a captor in Volantis brought by Jorah the Andal. He's given counsel by the widow of the waterfront to seek Daenerys Targaryen and give her word of the city's Honestly, need. an iconic scene. Very good. Tell her. Yeah, we are waiting. John 6. After sending men on a raging, John works on his aggression out in the training yard, first against his brothers and, the, and then against the vicious Rattleshirt? 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 Quote? Quote unquote. Rattleshirt. He momentarily confuses Melisandre for a past flame. Ah. <laughs> and she offers him help in saving his sister. Your sister. Oh, my cat. Okay. When he heard the order, Sir Alistair's mouth twisted into a semblance of a smile, but his eyes remained as cold and hard as flint. So the bastard boy sends me out to die. Cried Mormont's raven. Die! 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 You are not helping, John swatted the bird away. The bastard boy is sending you out to range, to find our foes and kill them if need be. You're skilled with a blade. You were master at arms here and at Eastwatch. So, do you think that's foreshadowing that this opens up and the raven's just yelling about dying? Like, we get it, John dies at the end. Yeah. 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 Though, in retrospect, I guess maybe it's about the rangers that do die. Because what? A couple die. of them, we find out uh, from Melisandre towards the end of this chapter, do. And another three will. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I, I, I also thought that the die, die, die might be about Alistair Thorne. And I was like, yeah, I'm behind this. I back this. <laughs> I am backing this plan. Kill the Thorne. Instead of kill the yes. rabbit, it's just kill Alice the thorn. Pluck the thorn. Pluck yes. the thorn. <laughs> um, thorn says that he spent a third of his life teaching. He's like, how dare you make me participate in gym class when I've taught gym class all these years. And Dywin's like, oh, we'll teach you now. And then he says, teach you how to wipe your highborn ass with leaves just like a proper ranger. And everyone's laughing except for Thorn and John. I'm laughing. Yeah, but John is still here, like, oh my god, between you and the raven, and he's just like, none of you are helping! No one's helping! <laughs> Internally, he's just screaming. Like, why is this happening to me? Anyway, so we touched on this a little bit last time, but I do think that there is as much of a strong divide between the rangers. I don't, I don't know if some people like see them as jocks or not, but I don't really get that sense. But there's a divide between the rangers and those who have actually had to deal with 
imminent danger, many of whom align with John, having seen what John did to hold the wall against, you know, all of the wildlings. And then a divide between them and these highborns, many of who are pampered and haven't had to do any field work for years. Like, all Alistair Thorne did was antagonize all of the recruits who have to, like, guard his life now. Good job, Alistair. And, like, the people that Alistair Thorne liked and befriended were people like Janos, who never actually had to be trained. So, uh, we've we've talked about this in the past, but Jan- Alistair is more concerned with what status than he is with loyalty or anything. And I work in like a warehouse environment, right? A factory environment. And it's very much so it feels like the corporate versus plant. You know what I mean? Like this is very somebody that's coming from corporate that's never really had to actually go on the warehouse floor and do the job, you know, and that's kind of how it feels. And they're all giving him shit, which they should. Uh, fuck yeah. Alistair Thorne. But yeah. <laughs> it, Who hasn't uh, had to wipe their butt with leaves before, you know? Yeah, been there, sister. Been there. I've snowmobiled. Um, Alistair Thorne is like, I get it. This is a trick, and if I refuse, you're going to kill me just like Janos. Like, I'll go, and I'm going to fucking come back. I pray you do. John would never count Sir Alistair Thorne amongst his friends, but he was still a brother. No one ever said you had to like your brother's. So what's interesting to me here is that Alistair is projecting onto John because this situation right now where John is sending Alistair out, Alistair's reacting like, <sighs> where John is sending Alistair out, John's like, well, I kind of have to because the guy's been here for a while. He's experienced and we're short on men. We literally need people to go out there. And Alistair, though, takes it as a death sentence because this is exactly the situation that he put John in a few chapters ago in Storm, where he sends John to treat with Mance, and he's like, but actually you're not going to treat with him, you're going to try to assassinate him. It's a death sentence. And it's either John dies for doing that, or John dies refusing because he gets executed and called a traitor. And so the only reason John... The only reason Alistair thinks that John is pulling this kind of stunt is because that's what Alistair did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, A, well, maybe if you dish it out, you should be ready to take it, Sir Alistair Thorne. B, that's not what he's doing. Wipe your butt. Wipe I your bet Alistair butt. Thorne's the kind of guy who doesn't wipe his butt. <sighs> oh, and you know, like, he's seriously standing here being like, I can't believe I have to wipe my butt with leaves. He's not saying that, I'm exaggerating. But, like, this is literally what he does like you have to do what they say because you fucked up and now you're in the penal colony like you refuse to bend the knee actually robert gave you a chance and you're so goddamn bloody you know oh i'm honorable um and something else i'm noticing here no one ever said you had to like your brothers yes that's some stannis shit right there it is some stannis shit it's finally starting to show in the second half of the book just like in the last chapter we had him you know uh playing ball with the free folk I don't know. The foreshadowing is so thick in these chapters, especially when you're considering what you said that, you know, Alistair is looking at this like a threat against his life. Of course, everybody bands together to kill John. It's also, I think, a very Targaryen thing, and it's something that I've explored before of how a lot of the way that the Starks are characterized is loving one another, mm-hmm. whereas the unfortunate fact with the Targaryen family is that Partially because some of them had bad parents, but you see that, I mean, Daenerys didn't quite, she didn't, she didn't, right? She might have loved Viserys, but she didn't like him, and that's because she was a child independent on him, you know? Yeah. 
So, I mean, John's about to be a Targaryen. He might not like his his aunt. No, he's gonna like his aunt. The problem is, you know, it's not that he's gonna dislike his aunt. He's gonna really, really like his aunt. <sighs> yeah, especially because that wild flavor she's got going on reminds him of Val and Egret. Mm-hmm. 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 Like, I like how George is like, I'm going to explain how he's going to be attracted to her, even if she's his aunt. <laughs> George is basically saying, he has a type. <laughs> also, it happens to be his aunt. That's not the type that we know of. But here's Sansa. Um, John is ruminating on how hard it's going to be to send these people out, but he also thinks they're seasoned. They should be fine. But Benjamin was seasoned too. That's in the back of his mind, just waiting there. Benjamin was seasoned too. Dywin, yeah. Blackjack Bulwer, and Kedge White Eye will each lead a ranging, and they're actually excited for it. Dywin is super skilled, he's knowledgeable. John thinks Thorn is in better hands than he deserves. Absolutely. There are, there are three parties, each have three men, and they each have a raven. Yep. So after the rangers go off, John and Ed descend. Dolor's Ed is here too, everyone. And the cage goes so fast that sometimes they're actually in free fall. <laughs> and Ed decides to, you know, during the awkwardness of this elevator ride, share a story with with John. <laughs> I mean, elevators are hard. You don't. What do you do, right? I had a frightening dream last night, my lord. Dolor's Ed confessed. You were my steward, fetching my food and cleaning up my leavings. I was Lord Commander with never a moment's peace. John did not smile. Your nightmare, my life. Ugh. Big mood. (laughs) Really holding out for that Ed command. Can't wait. It's gonna happen. Yeah, with the exception of John being his steward, you know, maybe, what if Ed has green dreams and this is, this is it? What if Ed is Azora High? Ed Zora High. Ed Zora High. I mean, like like I said, the sigil, they're the teeth made of dragonglass. That's the only only interpretation oh for God. that sigil. Cotter Pike <laughs> reports growing free folk numbers, but every time they are out in the open, they hide as soon as you see them. Malister has seen night fires north of the gorge. And they both ask for more men, which John has none of since he's already sent them men. So I wanted to touch quickly on that line of the free folk hiding when they are seen or to not be seen, right? And I think you're seeing just just a smidge of something similar to what's going on in the Sons of the Harpy arc that Daenerys is dealing with over in Slaver's Bay and Marine. Both of these are George drawing on his his interest in the Vietnam War. He's spoken frequently about how the Vietnam War was a culminating experience for his life and realizing where he stood on a lot of issues uh, when it comes to whether some wars are just, some are not, right? And I think he's not really making a statement on that in this moment, but I think he's just drawing some inspiration on the whole like guerrilla warfare that was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And... and played to the advantage of Vietnamese troops on the ground. Yeah, and that was the first thing I thought of was it's very guerrilla. It's very, it made me think of the neck, made me think of Dorne. Um, Definitely made me think of what's going on with the trees with Stannis. Mm Kind of made me think of that as well. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's sprinkled throughout this book. Yeah. You know, a lot of different POVs. 
Cutter Pike had already sent ten Molestown wildlings to them. Oh, wait, no, sorry. John had already sent ten Molestown wildlings to Cutter Pike. All of them are at least a little capable, but Cutter Pike is displeased. They wanted actually real watchmen. Ah. Just like, we don't fucking have that, okay? Yeah, They're all no dead. Rorschach here. They're all gone. The heroes are dead. Oh, that's the wrong series. Um, John, what is this? Not a cast. Uh, John and Ed get out of the winch and they walk by Emmett from Not a Cast podcast training in the yard. John thinks of the steel and he's reminded of Winterfell. The song of steel on steel woke a hunger in John. It reminded him of warmer, simple days when he had been a boy at Winterfell, matching blades with Rob under the watchful eye of Sir Roderick Cassell. Sir Roderick, too, had fallen, slain by Theon Turncloak and his iron men, as he tried to retake Winterfell. The great stronghold of House Stark was a scorched desolation. All my memories are poisoned. Hmm. Very sad. The, uh, when there's nothing left to burn, you have to set yourself on fire. Or your rule. Or the wall. Either or. Very uh strong. I'm the Dragon Knight. I'm Ryan Redwine feelings here, but sad. And also... Reminds me of Bran. You know, it's not gone. It's broken, like me. Um, and of Sansa, thinking of Winterfell and how she's stronger within the walls of it. This is this is hope for them. This is their red door. Yeah. Uh, all my memories are poison. Yeah, you can't think of the happy times without it. <sighs> Love is poison. And I, and I think we're going to see that at the end of the series for a lot of these characters. They're all going to be a little... They're going to be a little bit like Ned, right? Ned couldn't think of Lyanna anymore without his own memories being poisoned. Mm-hmm. Emmett stops training when he sees John asking how he can serve him. John requests his three best, which he gives Aaron, Emmerich, and Jake. <laughs> Are those my cats and my partner? That's what that reminds me of. It's Aaron, Emmerich, Jake. <laughs> They fetch padding for John, uh, Ringmail, Greaves, Gorget, Half Helm, and he fights against them. He uses one of Donald Noy's last swords, I love that, and then requests they fight him three on one, and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. John, like, internally thinks about Donald Noy and this, you know, being one of the last ones he ever made. It doesn't have an edge mm. to it yet. And I kind of wonder if that line of, it's a shame he didn't put an edge to it. Maybe one of the last. I wonder if this is, like, kind of about a person, right? I don't know if it's about, like, Noi's tutelage of John. Maybe it's about Noi and the Brathian sons. I don't know. Yeah, it could, could be, be some sort of metaphor. Or I'm just reading too much into it. Possible, possible. I just really like Donald Noi. Yeah, <laughs> every, everything's a metaphor, Eliana. Uh, corn code. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Sansa 1 in A Storm of Swords. Mm when she's wa- walking with Loris, watching Garland. Uh, on the edge of a yard, a lone knight with a pair of golden roses on his shield was holding off three foes. Even as they watched, he caught one of them alongside the head, knocking him senseless. Is that your brother? Sansa asked. It is, my lady, said Sir Loris. Garland often trains against three men or even four. In battle, it is seldom against one, he says, so he likes to be prepared. He must be very brave. Yeah. I thought it was a good call to that, for sure. It is, and I think that you're onto something here, because not only is it similar to that, there's another line, mm-hmm. right, that's kind of in the reverse of, like, one of them is 
between John and Rob, one's the better sword, the other's the better mm-hmm. lance. And Loris also says that regarding him and Garland, uh, one is the better sword and the other is the better lance. I don't know what it means. Uh, one is better at jousting and tourneys. The other is well, better with like but, a sword in combat. Oh, you no, meant I metaphorically. Um, yeah. I thought I also. Sorry, I don't. I was like, <laughs> okay. um, I can't believe you didn't know that. Yeah, I was very confused. <laughs> I was like, wow, Eliana, you've been reading this for too long, and you still don't know that. Um, no, I also thought of uh, just a couple chapters ago the nod to Sansa there too that she wished some hero would come and lop off Janos's head. Um, kind of a similar, you know, like. I think it's just hero talk and proving, like, hey, John is a super heroically strong. Like, he is the Arthurian prince here. You know, he's out here. He's, like, battling off three dudes at once. I get you, John. I do that all the time. It's hard. It's a hard life. Are you talking about you and the cats again? (laughs) No. Shut the fuck up, Elia. Wow, that was a savage Targaryen bird. Thank you. Um... John is like, anyway, when it comes to the three fighting, he's like, of course it's not fair to fight three on one. Just come fight me yourself. It's never going to be fair, IRL. <laughs> and then he proves his point, all while training against them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And here's another thing that I feel like is an Easter egg, right? It doesn't mean anything big, but we have twins, right? Arryn and Emmerich, they are twin brothers. And John thinks that they could be rangers one day. But there's this line in there of, he slashed at his head and shoulders right and left and right again. I'm just going to say, like, they're twins, their names are reminiscent of Arik and Eric, Arin, Emric, a famous set of twins from the Dance of the Dragons who end up killing one another, being on opposite sides of, of the dance. But it's also that those two are the namesake of twins that guard Lady Olena. And we see them at the beginning of A Storm of Swords. And she calls both of those twins left and right. I'm probably reading too much into it, but it feels like an Easter egg. It doesn't mean anything, but... No, I think it's definitely a good catch. Like, it's not just, don't don't knock yourself on this because it's like, it's just George's sandbox at play, right? Like, he's just mm-hmm. reusing ideas he's already used. I love when he does that. I think it's something. Yeah. I do think it's something. It's just like a, ah, I'm so funny. Elmo's... Grover Tully. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> right. I thought this was great because John is reading their eye signals to each other mm-hmm. in this fight. Like, it, it's really supposed to show us that John is serious business. That's what this is about. It's not like little metaphors for this, that. The biggest part of this is it's showing us how much he's grown at this point in A Dance with Dragons, right? Um, yeah. I mean, John feels like an old man right now, like, compared to the beginning of this book. True. And that means the cycle of his life is almost at a close, you know? Wow, okay. (laughs) He's warning them, uh, while he's watching their eye contact, he's warning them about how the whites fight differently than humans. And George is a great example of this in that fighting because he's showing, like you said, how John has grown. He's using all of his senses in fighting because he realizes now what it entails. And it's a lot of thought because he realizes that Emmerich is behind him since he just sees for a moment like a look of relief on Aaron's face. And that's how he knows, like, oh, gotta turn around, too. Yeah. Anyway. Rattleshirt is watching all of this. Yes. Rattleshirt. Quote, unquote. Uh, He's watching all of this, and he and John start to go back and forth. The big crow can peck the little crows, growled a voice behind him. But has he belly enough to fight a man? Rattleshirt was leaning against a wall. 
A coarse stubble covered his sunken cheeks, and his thin brown hair was blowing across his little yellow eyes. You flatter yourself, John said. Aye, but I'd flatten you. John goes on from here to say Stannis burnt the wrong man, but Rattleshirt grins and starts talking shit back to him and says, We all do what we have to do, Snow. Even kings. Burn the wrong man. What does it mean, Chloe? Even kings. What does it mean, Eliana? What does it mean? Even kings do what they have to do. Even kings beyond the wall. Oh, even, even kings. What does it? What does it mean? I don't. You know, the thing is, is like he had to die to go into this hiding. Like people are like, Mance is alive, and I'm like, well, I mean, technically, we don't know he's dead, even though he probably is. But he had to go into hiding as Rattleshirt to Mm -hmm. live. Like him alive, Stannis would not allow for another king. He would not suffer another king. Um, him dying seals Stannis' letting the Free Folk in alliance. Honestly, I don't know if anyone would have allowed another king, right? No, yeah. It's a threat to their rule. Like, I... I kind of get it. Yeah. It doesn't... Yeah, anyway. John commands Emmett to arm... to armor Rattleship shirt and steel and not in bones and in the steel armor john seems to think that rattle shirt actually stands a little bit taller but decides nah it's the armor it's the armor <laughs> oh, you know we know that it actually is because his bones and glamour is muted right with the armor on yeah so it's funny that john's like oh the armor makes him taller because it does it brings him closer to life yeah, I think it was just he was like, "Oh, the clothes make the man." Yeah. Oh wait, it does. You know, that's that is the the idea of my glamour. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I see, I see. All right, all right. <laughs> Rattleshirt declines a shield, preferring a two-handed sword, and this is definitely a flex mm-hmm. because John frequently wields long claw, which is a bastard sword, which sometimes colloquially colloquially they say it's a hand and a half since it's bigger than a long sword but smaller than a two-handed sword and i think this sets the stage for what we're about to see with john and rattleshirt yeah rattleshirt rattleshirt (laughs) they start to dance uh it turns out rattleshirt's a pro at dancing yes rattleshirt (laughs) john doesn't think he can keep it up for longer rattleshirt is stopping him blow after blow but john just keeps going his blows don't really seem to have an effect against this man. And John is starting to sweat. And he's like, God, I wish I fucking had long claws. I shouldn't have tried to be impressive. <laughs> I shouldn't have tried to be impressive. But it is impressive because Rattleshirt doesn't have a shield, which means he has to either evade John's blows or just barrel through them. But for the most part, as we see, Rattleshirt's just dodging and evading and like this is really hard which i know from dark souls and trying to two-hand <laughs> anything all right yeah you gotta know your dodges and i'm really bad at this game but i like it oh you're not bad at it dark souls is just hard anybody like that doesn't have a 20 percent like skill at video games is probably bad at that game it's not your fault just say the i'm good at the lore, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, I like the lore of Dark Souls more than I like the gameplay. It's which pretty I to watch. Is, I, no, I like I like uh, killing imaginary things, which uh, maybe says a lot about me. But <laughs> so this is an from, interesting fight, though. Can we just talk about how like they are literally having a cockfight right now? Like oh, they are. They're literally out there, and John's just like, "Oh, it's time! I'm gonna beat the shit out of this little punk." But it turns out that Mance is under there, just like, "It's time! I'm gonna beat the shit out of this little punk." Yeah, I mean, 
they're they're really excited to do this, but we didn't know. Re- I mean, even Rattleshirt would have been excited to do it, though. Yeah. Everyone wants to fight John, though. I know. Me too. So when John finally gets a chance, he takes Rattleshirt down in his backswing. Rattleshirt somehow ends up on top of him. Mm. And John's head is in his hands, telling Ooh. him that uh, if he had a dagger, John would be missing an eye. The scene is lewd. A little bit. It's sexual. I mean, like, the first Jamie and Brienne fight scene, right? Is that sex. Was, they were making love. That was making love. It's literally sex. Yeah. Anyway, throwing it out there. <laughs> Horse and Iron Emmett drag Rattleshirt off John, and John tells him, well thought, he's spitting blood out of his mouth, and the men are all like, whoa, 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 boss, like, he threatened your life. Are you sure he's good to just let him go walk? And John's like, he has a dagger. If he wanted me dead, he would have been able to. And LOL, foreshadowing, because if they want him dead, they would be able to. Lamau, daggers in the dark. Also, knowing that it's Mance, like, it just says so much here. He gives him such a run for his money. This is so, Mm -hmm. it's just a great little action sequence. Somebody needs to. absolutely. Yeah. John, John, you know, there was too much talking. They needed they needed to spice it up with a little fighting every now and then. Yeah, you know, I know what boys like. <laughs> uh, I love this line that John thinks next. There is always someone quicker and stronger. Sir Roderick had once told John and... Oh, this isn't John's thoughts. There's always some... You could still do it. Whatever. There's always someone quicker and stronger. Sir Roderick had once told John and Rob. Hmm. 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 It is, it is nice. It's actually a lesson for real life, to be honest. There's always going to be someone better than you. Yeah, That's true. That's good. There's always something to, to strive for, but... Unless you're me. Yep. Unless, unless you're Chloe. Who else could take on two cats at once? Anyway, in the context of Sir Godfrey farting, right? <laughs> I remember a few episodes ago, a few chapters ago... He challenges John, and mm. John refuses. So it's interesting that of all of them, this is the one that John accepts because we all already know that Sir Godfrey farting was a little shit. All right, he wasn't just farting; he like straight up charted, and that it was never about John being afraid of his challenge. It is just that narratively, Godfrey farting wasn't worthy, whereas Rattleshirt slash Mance is a worthy opponent in terms of skill. Mm-hmm. We see that he does give John a run for his money, right? It was worth his time. It was also very humiliating for John. And this is the one that John chose to accept. So it was never about, like, John being afraid. Because he accepted a match that he straight up lost, okay? He probably could have won against Godfrey. And by having John and Mance be the ones to spar against one another, we see what is worthy here. Because, like... And hey... Maybe it's not good, as John says at the beginning of his storyline, for bastards to hit princes. But maybe it's perfectly fine here for two kings to hit one another. Hmm. Well matched. Yeah. And also John thinks, like, this is the kind of man that you want to face in the yard before the battlefield. Which makes me wonder, who is it that John would face that is like Mance in the battlefield? And does is it even Mance? Is he going to have to fight Mance again one day? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I especially felt like that oncoming threat of the others and that thought of there's always someone quicker and stronger. So mm-hmm. I found that interesting, too, especially as we just saw John kick ass the whole first part of the chapter. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, John's ass is kicked. 
Dunno. Yeah. Dunno. Clytus interrupts them, though. He's interrupting us right now with a letter. Uh, John is hoping the letter is from Stannis, but it's not. It's sealed with pink wax. This is John hoping hoping that the text is going to be from Stannis. <laughs> you up? Question it's mark? Just, yeah, you up. <laughs> but it's just his mom being like, yo, did you take the trash out? Uh, oh, wait, no, not his mom. Yeah, I was going to say, she mind. dead. Shut, God damn it. God damn it. I think he'd be oh. pretty weirded out if he got a text from his mom. <laughs> That'd be uh, actually super exciting for him, too. He would probably be weirded out if he got a text. Mm. You know, this is all really hypothetical. But uh, the only the only house that's flamboyant and ridiculous enough, ridiculous enough to use, like, fuchsia and pink in their colors is Bolton. Like, that's what John's thinking. He sees the pink wax and he's like, fucking Boltons. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then the letter is signed by Ramsey Bolton, Mm-mm. Lord of Hornwood. Ugh. Get out. How dare you? I know. God, like, such disrespect. I love Danella Hornwood. (sighs) Signatures from Lord Dustin, Lady Kerwin, and four Rizwells, and even a crudely, interestingly, crudely drawn giant of umber. Uh, I love that his signature is just the giant. Yeah, that he just makes a little doodle. I'm gonna start drawing, like, Sansa Stark. (laughs) Hope for the best. I should start drawing. I should draw a little Bellwas. You should draw like a dog. Yeah, a Bellwai. Dog. That's my signature. Uh, Emmett asks what the letter says, and John's like, well, may as well just tell them because they should know, Uh, which is good. That's a good play. Moat Kaelin is taken. Iron men are nailed along the King's Road. Roos summons all loyal Northmen to Barrowton to the throne. Or fuck. Roos summons all loyal. All Northmen who are loyal to the throne to Barrowton, and he also wants them to celebrate the wedding of Ramsay and Arya Stark. Boo! 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 Uh, John thinks, no, that is not possible. She died in King's Landing with father. Or did she? It's interesting that everyone just assumed that. Yeah, because they just couldn't find her, and that's literally what Cersei wanted to happen. She's like, oh, the, she died. So many people died. She just died, and hopefully they think that too. Well, yeah. I mean, what Cersei really wanted in an ideal world was to also have Arya. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. Lord Snow? Clytus peered at him closely with his dim pink eyes. Are you unwell? You seem... He's to marry Arya Stark, my little sister. John could almost see her in that moment, long-faced and gawky, all nabby knees and sharp elbows with her dirty face and tangled hair. They would wash the one and comb the other, he did not doubt, but he could not imagine Arya in a wedding gown, nor Ramsay Bolton's bed. No matter how afraid she is, she will not show it. If he Aww. tries to lay a hand on her, she'll fight him. Aww. Hmm. Poor Jane. <sighs> Won't someone think about Jane for a second? I know. I I mean, like, I'm thinking about it all the time, and I'm just like... I'm really worried for that girl. There's a lot to be worried about. And, it like, the it's not even, like, the things that you worry about will happen to her. We find out, like, that the worst things happen to her. We talked extensively, of course, though, about Jane in the Theon chapters preceding these, but... Mm-hmm. Her, if anyone's memories of Winterfell are poisoned... Yeah, it's Jane. It's Jane. <sighs> Emmett asks how old Arya is trailing off, and John thinks eleven. Ugh. But then he says that he has no sister, only brothers, only them. He thinks. He thinks. Um, yeah. 
Lady Catalan would have rejoiced to hear those words, he knew. That didn't make them any easier to say. His fingers closed around the parchment. Would that they could crush Ramsay Bolton's throat as easily. So it is interesting that for as much as John still fears Catelyn, for the way that uh, she she treated him growing up, right? They both have the same desire to choke the people who wronged them. That, that This is what they go to. Catelyn wanted to strangle Cersei, and John wants to do so to Ramsay, but Catelyn ends up being robbed of this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, John will be too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was thinking about it. It better be Jane feeding him to the dogs. That that Look, I don't care if it was Sansa's show thing. I just want him to die by his dogs. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that that makes sense, right? If Jane does it, I don't know. I, I don't know if it'll, it will. It probably won't be her at this point. But it just would be nice if his dogs eat him. That's all I want. I don't know if it would be Jane. I wonder if it would be, interestingly, this is a crazy tinfoil theory. I, I don't think I've come up with it. I, I think I might have read it somewhere else, too. It could be Arya, right? Mm. Actual Arya comes in, mm-hmm. and she has seen, if if the dogs eat him, right? She's seen poison mm-hmm. from the way that Wheeze died that would cause, like, one's own dogs. Like the basilisk the venom? To and eat them. Yeah, the basilisk venom. That was it. Yeah. <gasps> I would love if that's where that comes in. A lot of people have theorized about it with King's Landing with Tyene and, like, feeding oh, yeah. it with, uh, to the cats, to uh, Sir Pounce and Boots and Lady Whiskers. But with the dogs. Yeah. It's, it, I it's like that. It's interesting and poignant in the Arya storyline, maybe. And she comes in as real Arya, mm-hmm. avenging mm-hmm. Jade. Uh, Clytus asks if John is going to resend a letter, but he shakes his head and walks away. His bruises begin to turn purple by night, and he talks to the bird about it. Like, he's just chatting with the bird going crazy. And he's like, well, they'll go yellow before they leave. I'm going to look like the Lord of Bones by the time my bruises leave. And the bird's just like, bones, bones, bones. And I'm like, you're going to die, John. What does it mean? Yeah. It means that he and man's bone, what? They bone, bone, bone. (laughs) But yeah, it means that they die. Yeah, they're going to die. He hears voices outside. Melisandre and her followers are praying by nightfire, with Stannis and the Queensmen gone. Melisandre's group is actually smaller. Uh, the Molestown free folk, guards from the king, and a dozen black brothers who converted to R'hllor. And John, again, can't help but think of Arya and then feel guilt. This passage where he's feeling that guilt reminds me of Ned. Uh, it, the line is actually, dark dreams, he thought, and guilt. Very Nedly. It reminds me of two lines. Mm. It reminds me of Eddard Nine in A Game of Thrones. It beat down on Ned's head, warm as blood and relentless as old guilts uh, about the rain. And in Eddard 15, when he thinks, he did not know which was more painful, the waking or the sleeping. When he slept, he dreamed, dark, disturbing dreams of blood and broken promises. So that especially was like, as soon as I read dark dreams, he thought in guilt, I was like, oh, shit, that's Eddard 15. This is like the eve of John dying almost, you know, it's similar. Yeah, it's similar. Very similar. It is. It's it's just extended because they had to pad the book a little to make room for the Bureaunies not to untangle. Mm-hmm. We've also spoken at length about this before, about how John is going to choose to protect, I guess, his Stark family over his Targaryen family. And as we see over and over throughout these chapters and this book, that it's not just like his Stark family that moves him to act, right? Like he's tempted with Ned and Rob. Uh, it's finally when it's Arya 
that John, it really eats him up and at the end of the book finally decides to take action but also because everyone who could hold him back isn't there anymore he's like it's me all alone <laughs> wilding out <laughs> right well anxious <laughs> sam's not here aven's not here i do no what i want that. i do what i want yeah exactly <laughs> set, set them all away i can eat ice cream for dinner whatever that's john right now anyway so there's that but also it's aria finally that makes him really act he ha we have a bazillion chapters including this one of him thinking about Arya and while we know that the love triangle between John Arya and Tyrion from the 1993 letter is no longer uh, a part of the book series it seems that i think that romance actually got uh turned into whatever's going to happen between like John and Daenerys it doesn't really mean anything or come through in the show but allegedly the showrunners are like yeah Tyrion also feels romantically towards Daenerys and that culminated in nothing but I think that says to me that all of all of this stuff was is something that ends up being part of uh the Daenerys romance and plotline but anyways it makes me think that maybe Arya is a big impetus or ends up threatened or something by Daenerys specifically or that becomes a big motivator for John's decisions at the end. Yeah, I mean, I initially thought he had traded it out for Sansa in general, but I could see it being something regarding Arya. Maybe it's more he just traded it out for House Stark, you know, I think to be it's that House threesome. Stark in general. It's House Stark. It's sure. a threesome with House Stark and Danny here. Wow. Uh, and three's a crowd. But sidebar to what you were saying about Daenerys and Tyrion's feelings, is that meta on how, like, men just sexualize women like and they just think they're in love with women and they're like oh i've been in love with her my boss this whole time like with Tyrion and danny you know what i mean like we didn't notice it in the show maybe because it was just so natural and normal because that happens all the time i thought it was weird in the show and i think that is kind of what happens to an extent uh it doesn't for john because he has had like more positive interactions but i think for Tyrion, it might be part of that like that's but just normal for Tyrion. It's like any any woman who shows me any positive mm -hmm. feedback. Yeah, without me paying her. Yeah, yeah. Well, back to Arya. I do think anyway. Arya is specifically going to be big motivation for a lot of Jon's choices, and I mean, it's always been about her, right? Like, look back to a Game of Thrones for Jon. Uh. He's hopeless with a sword. My sister could, Arya could tear him apart, and she's not even ten. You know, he, he's constantly thinking about her. Um, in Arya, too, was thinking about him. Needle was Jon Snow's smile. He used to mess up my hair and call me little sister, she remembered, and suddenly there were tears in her eyes. Arya has to choose life over this wage of war that she's been brought into, a death that she's currently choosing in the House of Black and White. Um, she has to learn to choose life, which Jon might be a big motivating factor for her in that, and John's going to have to come back and choose his family eventually or choose Daenerys or choose nothing like he's doing all the time already. Yeah. I mean, she was a big reason as to why he didn't kill Egret. Yeah. So in that moment, he chose life for someone else because of Arya. Anyway, one day we'll get to those chapters. God, no, he won't. <laughs> He thinks that there's no way to save Arya because his vows forbid it. He hopes that Arya still has her needle. She does. 
She does. But if she had tried to kill Ramsay, it could mean her life. And uh, hold on, I'm going to throw this, throw this out there. Crazy. I do think Arya could take Ramsay. Just throwing it out there. Uh, he heads to the wall and walks it and calms down and breathes fresh air. And Ghost has returned, following him through the yard. And out here on top of the wall, there's so much wind. There's so much winds of winter. He realizes that someone's behind him, and for like a hot second, he thinks it's Egret, but it's Melisandre. Yes, a hot second. You heard that right. Uh, and then there's this passage. When he turned, he saw Egret. She stood beneath the scorched stones of the Lord Commander's tower, cloaked in darkness and in memory. The light of the moon was in her hair, her hair red, kissed by fire. When he saw that, John's heart leapt into his mouth. Egret, he said. The voice was Melisandre's. Surprise made him recoil from her. Lady Melisandre, he took a step backwards. I mistook you for someone else. At night, all robes are gray, yet suddenly hers were red. He did not understand how he could have taken her for Egret. She was taller, thinner, older, though the moonlight washed years from her face. Mist rose from her nostrils and pale hands naked to the night. Ooh. I love that, that whole passage. I love it. It's really crazy because he smells uh, Melisandre and he smells her and she smells warm, which earlier in A Storm of Swords, we read in John 11 that uh, she smells red. The scent reminds him of Macon's Forge, of the way iron smells when red hot, that it was smoke in blood, kissed by fire, he thought, remembering Egret, which all of this is totally just a bridge for Danny. Like, that's all this yeah. is. Smoke and blood. Red hot. I mean, there's no way that she's not going to smell like that, right? Being when she dismounts the dragons. the dragons? Yeah. Yeah. She's going to smell She's gonna smell warm and like fire. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. And then they're going to be like, oh, God. Anyways. <laughs> he tells her... John tells Melisandre that she'll freeze out here, and she smirk Alex at him that, I mean, if that's what R'hllor wants, if he wants me to freeze, then, you know, so be it. I have no sister. The words were knives. What do you know of my heart, priestess? What do you know of my sister? The words were knives is interesting phrasing, that his denial of his family in this moment is a knife, and... Because there's a lot of talk of daggers in this chapter, and, you know, we know how this book ends. With daggers. In the dark. <laughs> Um, and you saying that kind of kicked me on the spur of, like, the denial of his family in this moment is a knife. What about later, the denial of his family? Would it be a knife then, too, in someone's guts? God damn it. Yep, just putting it out there. You said it. I actually wasn't even thinking about that, but you're right. It also reminds me of that line in Arya 8, Asos. A sauce where she's talking to the ghost of High Heart, and there's that line from the ghost of High Heart You're cruel to come to my hill, cruel. I gorged on grief at Summer Hall. I need none of yours. Be gone from here, Dark Heart. Be gone. And I don't know why, but it kind of just reminds me of that interaction with the what do you know of my heart, priestess? Dark Heart, Dark Wings, Dark Words. Oh my god. <sighs> Melisandre tells him that she can help with his sister. She goes, what is her name, this little sister that you do not have? Arya, his voice was hoarse. My half-sister, truly. For you are bastard-born. I had not forgotten. 
I have seen your sister in my fires, fleeing from this marriage they have made for her. Coming here to you, a girl in grey on a dying horse, I have seen it plain as day. It has not happened yet, but it will. She gazed at Ghost. May I touch your... Wolf? She, like, probably raises her eyebrows, like, 30 times before she says wolf. That's how I imagine it now. I love that you... That, that pause was very pregnant. Um, she trying. The thought made John uneasy. Best not. He will not harm me. You call him Ghost, yes? Yes, but... Ghost? Melisandre made the word a song. The direwolf padded toward her. Wary, he stalked about her in a circle, sniffing. When she held out her hand, he smelled that, too. Then shoved his nose against her fingers. John let out a white breath. A, this is lewd. B, when dogs sniff your fingers and shove their face into it because they want pets, it's like the greatest sensation in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's the greatest moment of acceptance that anyone can hope for. This is like some behind-the-scenes content, but literally, me and Eliana were walking around in her city when I visited her last, and uh, I encountered her and a dog. I have it. I will sell it. I'll sell this content. <laughs> Maybe we'll put it on Patreon. Maybe. <laughs> this chapter, and of course we just talked about the lightning round, this is very Wayward Bride, right? Yeah. A girl yeah. fleeing her marriage. I just think it's so interesting. This is all the end of the book. You have Daenerys jumping on her yes. dragon. Uh, you have Asha. You have Alice Karstark. You have fake Arya. Um, all very Wayward Bride. Very yeah. strong theme in this book, even down to Daenerys. It, it's absolutely something that's going on uh, throughout this book. Um, it's interesting, all of this motif and how it's used. And you you have Sansa also kind of fleeing from her marriage. She she was doing that uh, towards the beginning of the book. Uh, and by that, I mean not this book. I mean the previous one. They're one book for all intents and purposes, though. Well, yeah, for whatever. all meta-analysis and purposes. Honestly, Cersei's a trailblazer here. Gonna throw it out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Best way to flee your marriage, I guess, is uh, orchestrate the death of your husband. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. She tells him that warm calls to warmth and her ruby glows at her neck like a third eye. Game, recognize game, granddad. I was thinking that. I fucking hate you. I'm, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad that I could do this for all of us. I'm so glad. Game, recognize game, granddad. <laughs> and you're looking kind of unfamiliar right about now. Oh my god. So ghost eyes actually look like Melisandre's ruby when the light catches them. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. She then tells him there's power in the wall, in his dire wolf, and in him. Ooh. <laughs> the power was inside of you all along, and this is Naruto. Oh, God. <laughs> you started it with the anime protagonist. <laughs> Melisandre tells him to embrace the power, including that of his wolf, as she drapes her arm over him. You had sirens in the background. Um, God damn it. She sends oh. him a text at 3 a.m., saying, The Lord of Light and his wisdom made us male and female, two parts of a greater whole. In our joining, there is power. Power to make life. Power to make light. Power to cast shadows. She explains how shadows work. The moon has kissed you and etched your shadow upon the ice 20 feet tall. I love that. Yeah. there's And of course, like there's a lot of the ways that shadow stands in for power and influence throughout this book. Mm -hmm. so. Yes, working from the shadows, for instance. Um, yeah. The giant 
casting his shadow. Yes, a very small man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, internally, John's like, oh, word, yeah, my shadow <laughs> is pretty big right now on, on small. True. <laughs> he remembers Arya again on the gray horse and can feel Mel's warmth and power. But he decides being indebted to her isn't worth it. He reiterates words from Dala, a wise, amazing woman. Bless her. Uh, and the adage of sorcery is a sword without a hilt. Yeah, but then Melisandre says, a sword without a hilt is still a sword, though, and a sword is a fine thing to have when foes are all about. Like who? Hear me now, Jon Snow. Nine crows flew into the white wood to find your foes for you. Three of them are dead. They have not died yet, but their death is out there waiting for them, and they ride to meet it. You sent them forth to be your eyes in the darkness, but they will be eyeless when they return to you. I have seen their pale, dead faces in my flames, empty sockets, weeping blood. The weeper! And like we talked about last chapter with the trees, there you go, three trees, three boys. Oh, eh. Mm, mm. The weeper. (laughs) She tells John that he has to believe her soon. He only has to pay three lives. The cost of that belief will be three lives. A small price to pay for wisdom, some might say. But not one you had to pay. Yeah. it, And that's a running theme throughout these books, right? People paying a price for X thing. They're not always the ones who have to pay. And I think that's what Melisandre is kind of saying snidely here. Like, hmm. You don't have to pay it. Interesting. Well, he's yeah. going to learn. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of, of course, the treasons, right? Three treasons you will know. Three lives that will be taken for yours. Um, interesting. Yeah. Only death can pay for life, right? Yeah, until you know. It's like she's saying, it all catches up with you in the yeah. end. And then she says, you'll take my hand on that day. And in this moment, Melisandre's highlighter is out of this world. <laughs> it's yeah. also on her fingers. She She's using all all over body glitter, and then she offers her hand, again, to save his sister. And with all this talk of wayward brides throughout the story, this this language of, you'll take my hand, kind of feels marriage-like. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, it, it's interesting to think that, because then the next chapter is, uh, about, well, the next couple chapters have a lot to do with marriage in general. Right? Like, with Alice mm-hmm. Carstart coming towards yeah. the wall. Um, uh, Interesting, and what what does it mean when you make a deal with the devil? Bride of fire. Hmm. I think that's what she was saying. I think she was saying we can make a shadow baby to take out Ramsay. I mean, she can, theoretically, right? We've seen her do it. I do love that she says that, like, let's do that, and John says no. Um, because we. I feel like yeah. anybody that says yes to her is probably doomed. If they make a shadow baby with her. Yeah. As you said, it's a deal with the devil. It's um, there's still a price being paid, as we see with the way that Stannis looks. He'd choke him, though. John wouldn't. John's shadow baby wouldn't use a dagger. Maybe. Mm-mm. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, well, that was John six. A lot of uh, a lot of hints at what the themes of this end of this book. What's going to happen with John? It's all over this stupid book. Like, all of A Dance with Dragons is just like, oh, John's gonna die. Oh, John's gonna die. Oh, John's gonna die. 
Yeah, it's a glamorous chapter, too. <laughs> Very glamorous, absolutely. Uh, there was even some mist around, some gray mist. Yeah. John's tempted a lot throughout this entire book, and especially in this chapter, and starts ramping up. Literally, she is the temptress here. Coming to yeah. him, boobs out, highlighter out. Yeah. Melisandre, like, came up to Jon Snow, and she's like, snow on the field, time to plow. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> She's watching him in the yard saying that. <laughs> and he's like, mm, I'm going to just put some salt on it. Yeah, John's like, I'm not really into older women. Mm-mm. Just kidding, he is. Egret was older than him. Yep, that's why so I said, Val. yeah, well, I guess now he uh, is. Yeah. I'm off older but women. But Daenerys is younger than him. Yes. Right? Yes, yeah. he's born first. Yeah, like eight to nine months, according to uh, George R. R. Martin. It's just so that we can't call them twins. We can't call them left and right. <sighs> okay, well, Eric and Daenerys, or whatever their names are. <laughs> uh, anyways, thank you so much for listening, you guys. We will be back next week with John Seven in A Dance with Dragons. Uh, we're racing to the end very slowly, but we're getting there. <laughs> so we're not racing to the end. You don't have to say that. I mean, I think we're, we Well, are. I mean, you know, the tortoise, the tortoise was in the race and slow and steady wins, wins it. the yeah, race. Yeah, wins it. Know? Absolutely. So we are slow and steady. Yeah, The tortoise. Coming towards John's death. <laughs> Wait, he dies? At the end. <sighs> JK, it's not the end. It's the fifth book, you know. This is... There's going to be 12 books in this series. And of course, everyone, we have a lot of content coming out along with these John chapters. We are, of course, doing a episode reviews and watching of His Dark Materials. We have just finished wrapping up our read-through of the first book, Northern Lights slash The Golden Compass, depending on where you are. So keep up with us on social media. You can subscribe to us at Twitter at GirlsGodCanon, C-A-N-O-N, or... Maybe something that we've said here is interesting to you, right? You can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And if you aren't already subscribed, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast provider. We are definitely on Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Acast, and Stitcher. We might be on a handful of other ones. Uh, If our RSS feed shows up, go get them. And of course, we do have a Patreon for Patreon subscribers $5 and up. You get special episodes. We recently did one on the Golden Compass movie, but a lot of these episodes are about A Song of Ice and Fire. We are still determining what this month's episode will be, but likely it will be A Song of Ice and Fire related. Yeah, if you have any ideas, uh, we'll be deciding on that in just the next few days. So pop them over to us at our email or our Twitter or on Patreon. As always, Mm -hmm. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Goodbye. They don't see us, but... You know.